Welcome to the Butter Chicken Podcast, hosted by DJ Shirai and DJ Juicy. Ooh. We focus on the stories of individuals who are making great impact in society and culture. The Butter Chicken Experience is well-cooked, thought-provoking conversation. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy the vibes. You got the cool chip? Yes, 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 party people and worldwide, New York City and everywhere else that's tuned in today. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Butter Chicken Podcast with your boy, DJ Sherrod. And DJ Juicy. Did you just hear that headphone cut out, Juicy? Yeah, shit happens. We're just going to keep going through the, the entire episode today. We are. While the headphone keeps clicking the fuck out. It's all good, man. I think we can hear each other without the headphones, too, so. Half on, half off. You want to go headphoneless? I can't do that. I so I walked into the room. Yeah. And I said to you, who won today? <laughs> yeah, who on won? shoes. I think I know the answer to that. I personally believe that I have won. How? Well, Maybe now. I, what do you mean? Look at the shoe. You I'm think wearing. that's more desirable than this? Desirable to who? Desirable, like, what does that mean? That it's means. A, it's a fr- I'm fresher today. Okay, that's your prerogative, I guess. <laughs> do you do you think you won? I definitely won. Hey, your hat game is, is nice. Yeah, you can't. You can't. The swag is overall. Is, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, kid? We out here. So oh, we're ready. You, yeah, you got a nice little watch. You got a nice Cartier bracelet, a little custom chain. You know what I'm saying? Light yeah, work. see, in podcast world, they can't really see you, so it's nice that sometimes we shoot some video. So, you know, it's funny where we could actually come like dressed like bums if we want. That's so true. I think one week I'll come dressed like a bum. You know what? I don't think you ever will come dressed like a bum. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know why? Why? It's not in our nature. That's true. I go to work fresh. I agree. No one's going to be no meetings, no nothing. I always maintain some level of freshness. I agree with that. Right? Got to shower in the morning, be fresh. I don't know who, how people shower at night and wake up and go to work. I can't, I can't do that. I, I Lately, what I've been doing is I've actually been coming home from work, uh-huh. showering at night, okay, feeling fresh. Okay. Going to bed, waking up, taking a shower. Yeah, see, that's cool. Refreshing yeah. and going to the office. Yeah, I respect that. See. That's a th- of late. I never used to take a shower at night, but now I just feel like maybe in my older age, I'm just is I that need so, to be is fresher that some, and fresher and fresher. Something you decided that, like, it's on your own? Did someone advise you to do so? <laughs> like, I had it just. I just feel like I feel like I work so hard in the day that even if I'm not running around or, you know, sweating or whatever, I just feel like, hey, it just kind of gives me new life when i take a shower and and just feel fresh what uh inspires you what um, inspires you to take a shower no what inspires you to to just like be fresh and 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 dress freshly i guess i think it's a culture thing it's a culture thing like not culture meaning desi culture Mm -hmm. but culture meaning it's in in my day-to-day my beliefs the the way i roll i go i mean you know, like what Kanye said in that one record, right? What did he say? Can't even go to the grocery store without someone that's clean and a shirt with a team. Okay. I'm that guy. Okay, wow. I wear clean ones to the grocery store even. I, I just never want to be sloppy. Even my dirty ones look fresh. Mm. That makes sense. What do you just like, uh, Jason Mark them, crap No, them? like they'll be a little scuffed and a little dirty, but then I'll like change the laces to be brand new and clean them a little bit but they'll have a little dirt but they look fly fortunately for you you have plenty of sneakers so you, you could rotate 
frequently, which is nice. Not a lot of people have that luxury. Earned, not <laughs> given. Oh, earned. And speaking of earned, not given, for those of you tuning into the Butter Chicken Podcast, you can follow us on all platforms that do this podcasting thing and follow our Instagram page at Butter Chicken Podcast. And you could also follow us on our on our personal pages. Absolutely, yeah. I need to get some more followers. Do you? I definitely need more. I followers. want to get to a point where I get a blue check and I get some fo- some more followers. I want to be popping. What What's your goal for your blue check? Give me a timeline. I mean, we gotta just it's just, just gotta get it done. Like in one year's time, I gotta be blue checked. No, checked. no, I should have been blue checked already. <laughs> I should have been. Blue- in, They're in, fucking up over in there. In my eyes, you're blue checked, bro. All right. <laughs> you verify <laughs> me? I, yeah, verify you right now. I, to all our listeners, I, I want an orange chicken. Like an orange check for like butter chicken. That would be dope, that'd right? Be like sick. imagine we're the only two people with an orange check, Yo, that's and then a, that's the new wave. That's the butter chicken boys, bro. That's it. So we we do this butter chicken thing. Uh, I'm at DJ Sharad. That's at DJ S H A R A D. My I'm man Juicy's at at DJ Juicy D J J U I C Y. Give us a follow. Check out what we do. We both do different things, but we run this entity together, day to day. Um, outside of Butter Chicken Podcast, which is really a passionate thing for us. And again, the whole point of Butter Chicken Podcast is to tell the story of individuals doing impactful things in culture and society. It's to tell the come-up story, right? Absolutely. And I think the reason why we did that is because we also have a come-up story. And our come-up story is really through our music, through our DJing, and what we do on a daily basis, which we've never lost sight of and. At this point in time, I don't see us stopping anytime soon. No, I, I feel like we're we're still on the come up, man. Just gotta have that mentality and attitude. I like that. You know what do you mean by that? You see, like never uh, feel like you made it. Always feel like you, there's something to strive for, and 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 you know if you have that hunger inside of you, um, you know you're just gonna stay motivated the entire time that you're working. And I always I have this one saying, and, and I say it to you all the time: it's it's hunger over thirst. Always be hungry, never be thirsty. You know, never, never look for a handout, earn that handout or earn an opportunity and then run with it. You know what I'm saying? Earn an opportunity. Earn and run with it. Yeah. So opportunities are not given. Never. Okay. And those who are, who are, uh, who say they, they are given or, or take that for granted, then they're mistaken in my opinion. So <laughs> wait, what about me? Nah, what, what about you, you? No, like I'm just saying like people will say like. Hey, bro, you forgot about me? Like, no, I didn't forget about you. What did you do f- to earn this this position or this job or this or that? Just- I think you have to constantly be hustling. I agree. Constantly be hungry. I think you're absolutely right. Um, with this thing that we do with Butter Chicken, realize it stems from, for those, those new listeners, again, or people that don't really know us personally, we'd like you to get to know us. Um, we do our own business. We have our own business. We have our own production company and entertainment agency it's called dj usa events and dj usa events is our baby uh i started it years ago uh juicy was with me right from the beginning and dj usa events is what affords us to be able to do other things right like we started as djs and then we're able to do so much more yeah absolutely it's 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 our foundation it's our home base and that's why i think we always say at first it's you know, and and I, I notice you specifically. You'll always, you'll never say, "Hey, I'm Sharad." You'll say, "Hey, I'm DJ Sharad." You know, that's not that's not something that I've always been doing. 
As of late, I said, yeah. As of late, and tell me why that is. Like, like, what? do you know, or are you really, are you really trying to pro? Are you trolling me? No, I'm not trolling you. <laughs> I'm, I'm, at, I want to know, like, like, why do I say DJ Sharad yeah. instead of just Sharad? Yeah. As what do late. you say? I say I'm juicy, but right. but when I start the conversation and we get into it, I'll let people know that I'm a DJ first. So here's why I do that. Um, I have always said this, and I truly believe it, and I truly mean it, is that us as guys in the industry. Just guys and gen- people in general, we always look to people that have done bigger things than us mm-hmm. and say, oh, wow, like, how did they get to that point? So for me, I genuinely have mentors in my life. I have, like, which you know, five or six mentors who've genuinely taken the time out of their lives to help me, coach me, guide me. And I have mentors from different spaces. But my DJ mentor is DJ Clark Kent. And when I started working with Clark, um, I started going a lot of places with him, going to gigs, going to meetings, going to see clients, going to interviews, wherever. And every time he would introduce himself, he'd introduce himself as, hey, I'm DJ Clark Kent. And there was actually times where like, I would set up something for him and we'd go into the spot and I would have to introduce him. So I'd be like, yo, this is my guy, Clark Kent. Mm-hmm. And then he would actually correct me, stick his hand out, shake the person's hand and be like, DJ Clark Kent. And one day in the car, I was asking him, I'm like, dude, like, what's up with that? And he's like, think about who you are and think about, he actually put it in his perspective. He's like, think about who I am. I'm DJ Clark Kent, and that's me. That's what I do. And everything else that I do is because of the fact that I'm a DJ first. And it immediately clicked to me. He was like, you see these sneakers I'm designing? Cool, DJ Clark Kent did that. You see this record I'm producing? DJ Clark Kent did that. You see that A&R job I had? DJ Clark Kent got that job. Mm. And it made a lot of sense to me. And then I backtracked my own career. And I was like, well, why do we have DJ USA? Well, a bunch of DJs, including myself being the founder, DJ Sherrod, built that. Right. All these different situations. Like, why do I know sound so well? Because I'm a fucking DJ. Yeah, facts. So 10, 10 years ago, I might have been like, oh, like... I want to be presented as a businessman. Cool. I could still be a businessman, but I'm DJ Sherrod, and I'm going to make sure that anytime I walk into a space or I meet someone, they know that they're dealing with DJ Sherrod. So you being a DJ allowed you to be everything else, basically. I mean, maybe I would have done something else if I wasn't DJing, but right. I, I don't know, and that's never going to change at this right. point. Right. I mean, like now, in the position that you're in, all the opportunities that you've earned is because you started out as a DJ first. Is that accurate? Most definitely. Okay. I've pivoted into other things. Okay. And we've done a lot of other creative, created a lot of situations for ourselves, for our team, for everyone around us. But it all stems from me being a DJ. Got it. You don't, you wouldn't, you would, me and you would not be partners. Maybe not even friends. I don't know if you weren't a DJ. That's a fact. That's a fact, Jack. For sure. So we got this DJ USA thing. We've been building it forever. For those of you guys, again, who are new to our show, Butter Chicken Podcast is our platform to tell that come up story, but DJ USA is our business. Two separate things, but they kind of go hand in hand in the sense that that's how we do it. And within that business, we have had some amazing 
relationships built, would you say? Uh, without a doubt. We've man. met some amazing people through DJ USA. Some people I would even consider my family at this point, too. Some of them maybe your brother? Yeah, absolutely, without a doubt. Close to close to you, like, were enough where they'd be in your house eating at your kitchen table with you? No doubt. One of those people who's actually been with us from day one has played an enormous role in the growth and the build of DJ USA. I think he stands up there where he's one of the faces of what we currently do as DJ USA. Would you? Without question, 1,000%. I think we got to tell people who we're talking about. We are talking about one of the best people, period, that I know in my life. An amazing individual. And then when you take that and put it on the side and you have the talent and the skill set of what this guy brings to the table. He is one of the absolute best event hosts, masters of ceremony, excellence of elocution. Yeah, there we go. And just overall, G smells fantastic. Pause. <laughs> Every time he walks somewhere, creates a statement, um, life of the party, if you will, when he needs to be. But a gentleman and a scholar at the same time, my boy, our brother, uh, DJ USA had Hancho with us, my man, Marco Glorious. Wow. Shit. Wow. Strong. Thank you, gentlemen. It's an honor and a pleasure. I appreciate. That was freestyle, by the way. I appreciate that, <laughs> my guy. Wow. I appreciate the accolades. Thank you. Marco G, welcome to the show, man. Welcome to the Butter Chicken Podcast. <laughs> As I said, it's an honor and a pleasure. I'm proud of you guys, man. Thanks, man. Hundred percent. This is big. It's huge, man, and it's uh, it's, it's nice. an opportunity for us to really educate those, um, you know, who who don't know and really need to know and, and are eager to learn. So, absolutely. Um, I think I think today, you know, it's important that we get to know you a little bit better, or we know you, but get the people and our listeners to get to know you better and tell your story and and your come up, man. Wow. Strong. This is gonna <laughs> be good. Yeah, I think a lot of people uh, know you from knowing us, and mm -hmm. we know a lot of people through you as well, and we've kind of built this amazing sort of networking circle and kind of just this big group of individuals that associate all of us together. Mm -hmm. um, and when it comes to you as an individual, I feel your story really needs to be told um, while you're sitting here. Uh, now, currently, as you know, one of the most important people in this private event industry period, you're on TV as well. People don't know the come up story, and people might think it's easy. And what I want to do today is really let the listeners understand where you come from culturally, mm -hmm. uh, where you come from in this place, New York, mm -hmm. uh, what your mindset is all about, and um, the history. And and all the, the the wins you've you've taken, and also the L's you've taken as well on your way up. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, let's dive right into it, man. Yeah, Tell man. us where you from. This. Okay, where your parents are from, how, and why you call yourself. What is it, the Blindian? The king of the Blindians. The king of the, <laughs> the Blindians. King of okay. the That's actually. I mean, you said a few of my AKAs. The yeah. excellence of elocution. Yeah. Um, I just read your hashtags, man. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I was born in New York City, born Manhattan, Harlem, uh, but I was raised upstate New York in a town called Newburgh. 
Uh, both my parents are immigrants as well. Uh, are you on Instagram Live right now, by the way? No, I'm actually just videotaping. Okay, good, because I was going to tell you to cut the IG Live. Yeah, nah. We good. <laughs> um, but uh, as I was saying, yeah, both my parents are immigrants. My mother is from the Caribbean, this island called St. Kitts. St. Kitts is so small that they had to combine it combine it with another island called Nevis. So St. Kitts and Nevis is the name of the country, the two islands together. And my father is from India, um, Bombay to be specific. And their story, my story starts with them. <laughs> uh, my mother was always a very religious woman. She was actually a Christian Pentecostal evangelist. And for years, my mother used to go preaching all over the world um, to many countries. And she kind of like forged her name in the, in the Pentecostal church here in New York City. And uh, one summer, she decided to do some missionary work in a country that she's never been to before. It turned out to be India. And she decided to uh, stay in India for a summer. And the particular church that she was stationed at happened to be my father's family's church. And although I do have Hindu relatives, my father's immediate family uh, is Christian. So when she was out there that summer, she um, ended up meeting my, my, my dad, my grandparents. Um, my grandmother was adopted, so it kind of stops, as I said, like with my mother, my grandmother's side, um, as far as the lineage. So she ended up being my grandparents, my, my father's siblings, and she, uh, my dad took a liking to her, and they started, you know, seeing each other while she was out there that summer, you know. Uh, I guess he spearheaded it with like talks about God and Christianity and mm -hmm. all that stuff. But he started courting her. And by the end of the summer, uh, dude asked her to marry him. Wow. <laughs> the Indian way. So you, you mentioned that um, uh, your father was Christian and some of his relatives and family members. Does that go back like generations? Or is As that... I said, yeah, it does. But my, my grandmother was adopted. Okay. So um, as far as... I don't. The funny thing is, I never knew too much about my my uh, dad's uh, family past my grandparents, mm. um, which is something that kind of like, you know, I, I think I'll talk about it a little bit later on. But it brought me full circle to like when I fully started uh, meeting people of Indian descent as a, as an adult or as I grew up. But um, yeah, they ended up. You know, she ended up saying yes by the end of the summer, and he. They, he ended up uh, moving to the States. She came back. She, uh, he shortly came after her. And they got married in August. And nine months later, in May, I was born. <laughs> so, nice. you know, I was conceived. I mean, I was, you know. So were they living in Harlem? Yeah. So we, they were um, right on the border of Harlem and Washington Heights. Um, so, yeah. That's kind of like... When I was born, right before we moved upstate New York, that area was such a, it was, it was, it was heavily black, but also heavily Latinos, like Dominican. Mm. So, and there was white people there as well, but like I was very much influenced by what I was hearing. Um, just uh the dominican sounds the merengue regularly hearing it on the weekends when my mother was doing laundry um uh what my mother instilled in, in me as far as like 
straight Christian gospel music. What my dad would try to, you know, uh, put on as far as television goes, like with the 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 Indian channel. That's what I used to call it when I was a kid. You know, I'm sure you guys remember the the specific channel, the the cable network that. ITV, I think, right? I think that's it what it is. The New York City channel. The yeah. New York City channel, program. yeah. It's still around today. And I think Pakistan has a has a channel too. There's multiple channels now. now. There's Dish. Now there's so many different ways yeah. to get Indian content. Mm. But so I was influenced by a whole lot before I even really met white people, because oh, I, okay. <laughs> I moved up to Newburgh when I was like ten years old. But so from born to ten, you're in Harlem. Yeah, watch yeah. it's Dominican. Mm-hmm. Just really and being involved in the church. Okay, kind of sheltered. Okay, because my parents my mother was my parents very strict both of them you know um it was all about school all about just just being as as good as possible and just living you know for god <laughs> so why'd they go to newburgh um primarily to get me into out of the city okay um, so it was to build a better life build a better life better you know i mean when they came here i mean my mom was here before my dad in the states and she was, you know, doing her thing. But, you know, like, I, looking back, I do remember, I realized that we went from, I wasn't always, like, middle class. We weren't middle class. We were poor. And In the Harlem days? Yeah. Okay. We were, like, I, living in that, living in Harlem, I remember there was times I, I got shocked by, like, the, the, the electric, the, the, uh, the socket, just because it wasn't completely covered. You know, even even times I remember, <laughs> there was a hole in the in my ceiling, and it was actually my neighbor's floor, and I could see them. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, like we just wouldn't like go in that corner of the apartment because we would be able to see the person above. I would have put black gaff tape right there, <laughs> masking tape or some shit. Um, but yeah, so they just wanted to move out outside of New York City and just give m- me the best life possible, and respect it. Yeah, you know. So from from a cultural standpoint, growing up in Harlem from from the, the day you were born till you're about nine years old, you're did you like flock towards any specific race or like, did you kind of just make friends with everybody? I was always that kid who did everything and and kind of just rolled with every every punch. Um, I didn't realize that I didn't know too much about like white culture not necessarily white culture i just used to assume the lights lighter skinned spanish people were kind of white to me mm. so like when i moved upstate new york like gino yeah well gino no nah, you <laughs> see they were even the light even more lighter than gino <laughs> right 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 <laughs> but uh when i moved upstate new york i was you know that's when i started meeting like my jewish friends and like but it wasn't it, i kind of just fell right into it it wasn't you know a se- it was a seamless transition now from from what i know newburgh's a very diverse town right newburgh like is a very diverse from, town it goes from poor to rich it goes black white everything in the middle mm-hmm. everybody every race every culture is there yeah so tell me about like what your experience was early getting into i guess you were what fifth or sixth grade going yep. into newburgh i moved in yeah fifth grade was when i moved up to newburgh yeah um it was great it was actually the first time i was able to just kind of be outside without having my parents like hovering, like being helicopter parents. You know what I'm saying? So I flourished when I moved to Newburgh in uh, in sports. That was the time because I was able to do so in New York City. 
all I really did was run. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I wasn't able to play basketball or play football. You know what I mean? It was just like, how fast were you? And that was the extent of the athletics that I was able to do because of my parents just being, you know, super, you know, nervous about uh, crime and that sort of thing. But up in Newburgh, they're like, okay, you know what? We'll, we'll be a little bit more lenient. We'll loosen the reins. And that's when I started playing basketball heavy, football heavy, and just interacting more so without having my parents on me. Um, was it culture shock at all, or did you seamlessly like just blend it right in? I think I, I was always, I learned a lot. I used to watch a lot of television. So I, I, everything kind of just blended in for me just because I, I knew a lot. I expected, like even though I never encountered, I expected certain things to be because of what I saw on television or what I read. So, I mean, you know, the first time I actually, I was invited to a few bar mitzvahs, but I, I never attended because I didn't realize the importance it was of it um, until later on in life. But I did appreciate my new friends uh, appreciate people, you know, that I probably would not have associated with unless I moved up to Newburgh. I, I appreciated that aspect. And I definitely felt like it shaped me um, going up to Newburgh. See, I was, when we made the transition, I, I was placed in like honors classes. So that in itself, me being, I was probably like maybe one of three black kids that were in all honors classes. Um, and it's a different type of mentality because, okay, are you are you really supposed to be here? Ooh. You know what I mean? And, and they don't even know that I'm technically half black, but I'm black, you know, so it's like. But it's interesting because you said you were one of three black kids, but you didn't mention the Indian side at all. Yeah. And, um, did you ever identify at that age? Because I know later in the story, you're, you kind of turned a corner um, with that. But at that age, did you even identify with your Indian side yet? Or was it uh, you look black, you live kind of in a black neighborhood, you come here and everyone thinks you're black. Do you start? Do you ever explore the Indian side or is, is it not there yet? I identified with the Indian side more so at home. Got um, it. Interesting. I I try to identify uh -huh. outside of home with, you know, certain people. Not everybody got it. I would tell people that. I think being mixed back then was different, right, than now. People didn't get it. Like, uh, of course, you see, you see a kid that looks black that says he's half Indian. Or they'll be like, oh, well, what tribe? You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, what tribe are you yeah. with? Or, uh, and for the longest time, I just would, it would bother me to have to explain <laughs> so i just would be like i'm, I'm, I'm iroquois <laughs> <laughs> and they'd be like oh okay cool get it i got it okay but that, that was when i was much younger but as right. i as i got older i said no like okay so you know my family's actually from india most of the time people didn't believe it and right. it was like that was something that i just i i didn't like that uh, it was just like okay i'm not why would I tell you I'm something that I'm not? Right. Most people front. Depending. <laughs> right. I mean, most people front. So at a young age, you'd rather just like avoid the conversation and just just be you. And then later on in life, it kind of was like it was. Yeah. I mean, if it came up, I would let people know. Um, some people were like, oh, I can see it. Oh, some people were like, you know, they wouldn't necessarily believe it. But 
it was what it was until they saw my father next to me. Right. <laughs> um, was he a strict Indian parent the way very. we know, like the yes. stereotypical 100%. Indian dad? 100%. Yeah. Stereotypical. You ever beat you with the belt? Beat me. <laughs> oh, when I say. All right, you're Indian, bro. You're definitely, <laughs> you're definitely Indian. Indian. <laughs> <laughs> but both my parents were very strict. But yeah, my father, like, that's just something that will always be, you know, for the rest of my life. Even though, like, now, both my parents try to, you know, they, they, they're trying to be that friend. Like, when did you guys, you know, become friends? <laughs> like, no, it's you, cool. You know, I, I just haven't made that transition completely yet because I remember, I can't forget some of these beatings my pops put on wow, me. Wow, like that? No joke. But I respect it. I probably wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. But, yeah, <laughs> it made me who I am. Absolutely. So just to fast forward a little bit. So you get Newburgh. You're obviously flourishing with sports, academics. Uh, mm -hmm. You're very bright. Um, music comes into play at some point, and you become very yeah. into dancing and music, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that yeah. kind of, does that set the tone for what would happen, literally, for the rest of your career? It kind of did yeah because uh growing up i think you know my father being the the disciplinarian that he was he was like listen you're good at a few things but you're gonna be a doctor okay <laughs> you're that, definitely indian <laughs> and that's certified. what it is certified you know what i'm saying so it's like okay you know so you know that's what i that's any anytime anybody asked me hey what do you want to be i'm going to be a doctor did you want to be that um, at one time, I might, I, I, uh, um, I thought I did. Okay. Um, but I realized that was more so my dad pushing me. You know, I mean, I probably could have been a doctor. I know, I, I know, I could have. You know, I just it, it kind of worked. Him pushing me worked to his disadvantage because Ooh. I probably just knowing how I am, if if it would something organically that I was like, hey, you know what, I'm interested in this, you know, relatively interested in this. I might have, you know, uh, went towards it on my own, in my own type of way. Because uh, I did, you know, like, I wanted to be, you know, an orthopedic surgeon if I was going to be a doctor. And I was playing sports, and to this day, I do know a lot about, you know, bones, muscles, musculature, and that sort of, you know, I, I, I was a personal trainer at one time, so it could have happened, just not the way that my dad wanted it to happen, you know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah. Uh, Music, dance, like that really my mother, sets you out, yeah. like it sets you apart from a lot of people. My mother was very big. Her, her musicality was something that was very strong when she, you know, preached, when she was uh, ever giving a, a, a sermon or a message, my mom was known for her singing. She was she had a very strong operatic voice. And as I got through junior high and high school, I, I was playing in sports, but I started getting into music, and I was pretty much in every choir. Um, started competing with Allstate and becoming a very very good classical singer in my own right. At one time, by the towards the end of high school. I contemplated becoming uh, a classical singer, an opera singer. As my, you know, at one time I was, I was thinking about. Uh, I had a chance to go to Boston Conservatory to sing classically, and I turned it down 
to just go to a, a school that wasn't completely musical. But I did do a lot with music, and I think anything that I do now, my approach to it comes from my musical background. I just, just my timing and, you know, things that I, you know, I feel certain vibes that I, that I catch uh, when I'm with crowds. Um, the music of certain people, I'm very big on learning music of different cultures. Not even, not necessarily learning, because it's not learning for me. It's just, I just, I take it in, I absorb it. Has that helped enhance your MC career and your hosting ability as your knowledge of music and your, or your reception to different types of music? I believe so. I believe that um, me having the background that I have and just being someone who appreciates all cultures, um, appreciates, you know, all people from different walks of life and just every, you know, person's story, you know, and respects that. I think that helps me immensely with the way that I I host or, or do anything. I don't want to talk about after high school and you go, you leave Newburgh again and you go to college, I'm assuming. Yeah. Where do you go to school and how does that, again, change for you, like change where you're going in life? So after, um, as I said, I was... I initially was thinking about going to a school for completely musical conservatory, but I made the choice to not do that and just uh, focus or focus on music while I was at a school that wasn't completely for music. So I ended up going to Hofstra University in Long Island, New York. Ah, <laughs> one time for Long Island. Yeah, so that was my that began my uh, my tenure. <laughs> I guess with Long Island and I kind of haven't left Long Island since like I've been I've been associated with so much in Long Island s since you know I I start I stepped on to those uh to the to the to the campus of Hofstra um but yeah me being at Hofstra just you know it forced me uh to find out about uh not only Long Island culture but New York City culture because I I wanted to I wanted to pursue entertainment. I wanted to pursue acting. Um, but I was at, at the time I was double majoring um, in theater and vocal performance, which is like classical singing. That was my first, my two first majors, double majoring. And it changed because Hofstra's probably not the best school to do, <laughs> mm. do that. Um, but while at Hofstra, I ended up uh, well, well, I was looking for a job because I was broke. I needed something to eat. I uh, I looked at um, entertainment companies that used motivational dancers with their DJs to put on events. How and did you look at something so niche? Yeah, there was no Google back then, right? You know what it was? It, I, so up in Newburgh, a dance that we had, it was a dance. I forget what type. It wasn't like a prom, but it was a dance. And the DJ uh, had dancers at this dance. Oh, okay. And so that, I was that, that lit the fire. That lit the fire. The reason why I lit the fire, because I was the kid who was known to battle anybody on the dance floor. I, I used to break dance. So I used to battle. Heads knew. Niggas knew. This Mark, okay, Marco is 
Usher, um, <laughs> like Michael Jackson, everybody combined. Marco, get him on the dance floor. I would be the cat. I'd be the kid when they played Spanish music. Crushing it. To stay on the, the only black kid to stay on the dance floor, getting it. You know, <laughs> talking to my little Puerto Rican mommies, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but that was me. So this DJ had dancers and he was like, he was a young DJ. So like some of these girls were like looking at him and they were, he was like, he was kind of flirting with my, with my girls in my grade. Okay. So I was like, yo, I can't have this. So I remember I battled this DJ and his dancers at this dance. Did and you I crush him? Smashed. Em. And your school probably went eight. Smashed. Everyone was talking on Monday. <laughs> and as I said, this was like this probably was like maybe like eighth grade. Right. But I always kept that in mind. Like I spoke to him, I lost his contact, but I remembered. I was like, yo, in New York City, this has to be amplified. DJs with dancers. I'm assuming New York City is the biggest city in the world. They have to have this. This would be a great job for me while I'm in college. Makes sense. Yeah. So, so what year are we talking? Your freshman year of college? Oh, two. Okay. 2002. Okay, so you go to, what do you do? I think I went through the Yellow Pages. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I think I went through the phone book, yeah. and I looked up DJs. And the ve it's the funny thing is the very first company that I saw was a company by the name of DJs Unlimited. Interesting. And, and I call them. I asked them if they use dancers with their DJs. They said, yes. Um, would you be willing to come down for an audition? I spoke to the owner at the time on the phone. He was like, yeah, we're having auditions this Wednesday. Can you make it? I went, took the Long Island Railroad, um, Floral Park. Yes, you took it from where? From, from Hofstra, Hempstead? No, I took it from the city. I think I might have been commuting from Newburgh. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. so... I got on Penn Station, did it for that way. And yeah, I ended up meeting the owner and I got hired on the spot. And then I started being a party motivator at these events. Okay, so that, you weren't even thinking about being a host yet? No. Wasn't had, even in your mindset? I had no idea about that. So that kept you afloat all of undergrad, basically? Yeah, I mean, the funny thing was though, like, I kind of moved quickly. Once I started with DJs Unlimited, um, I got traction very fast. And probably six months into me being with that company, uh, they threw me out as a host. They never told me. My very first event that I did, I was dancing on parties, cool, it was, it was great. I was doing well, you know, super energetic, um, very competitive. Um, but one day, it was me and a, and a DJ, and Joey P. And he was like, you know, we get to the venue, we set up the equipment, because back then, dancers still had to, you know, set stuff up. We get to the venue, and I'm like, Joey, uh, oh, I asked him, I was like, Joey, who's the MC tonight? And he had the contract book, so he looks, he's like, ah, uh, it says here that you are, Marco. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, what? And that was the very first time I am. It was, it was a school party, kids party. And it went very well. Was there any like hesitation in your mind, or was it like challenge accepted? Like I got this. Like what was your mindset at that point when you found out that you were the MC? I mean, I, I might have, I might have pump faked slightly, quickly, but you know, I this is something that like I knew that I could do. So I said, hey, if they thought I could do it, let me make sure that I kill it. And that kind of how you know that's kind of how everything started. I still kept on dancing, but then they started putting pushing me more and more to hosting events. And 
I grew and grew and I grew that way. Um, and then I, got, I became a pretty formidable M MC. Can I, can I pause you for a second right there? Yeah. So for those listening to the Butter Chicken podcast here, we're talking about Marco's career. Uh, he's at a, at a turning point in his career where he um, starts working at a company called DJs Unlimited. And that's at some point our stories intertwine mm. uh, shortly after that. Uh, DJs Unlimited uh, was in the late 90s, early 2000s, probably the biggest uh, DJ production company in New York, Long Island at that time. And the company would travel all over the, the country to do events. Mm -hmm. At that point, in about a year after you started, I started at DJs Unlimited. And I merged my small existing operation with DJs Unlimited. And hence, we started the division that I would soon run called DJs Unlimited South Asia, mm. which is now what everybody knows as DJ USA. Strong. So Marco was actually at our place of business working with our partners before I even got there. So for those people who want to understand about longevity, loyalty, um, playing the long-term game, it really is a long-term game with how we operate our business, how we've come together and done so many different things, and how we've also done many separate things, and at certain points have included each other in our separate projects. So a year after you start there, we start DJs Unlimited South Asia. Mm -hmm. And they told me, my partners at the time, told me that you were a dancer and MC, but you were on the come up, so we didn't really want to touch you. <laughs> right? Sure. We, I mean, we needed to use senior level people. Correct, yeah. I get and that. you were I just coming up. Fresh. Yeah. Newbie, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so then you start emceeing, though, and you're, are you crushing it right away, or? No, I mean, you know, it was a learning process. Like, I, you know, people were telling me that, yo, you know, you're really good, but I, I wanted to get to a certain place, you know, I... When I never knew what to say, I would always resort to just dancing, because <laughs> that was my claim to fame. I was, a, at the time, a, a really good dancer, and that was what people liked. People loved to see me dance, and that was what it was. In my head, I said, hey, I need to get to a point where I don't need to dance at all right? and to still have an optimal event. That was my goal. I want to have, you know, I want to be clever on the mic. I want to be commanding and... If I want to dance, that's cool, but I need to get to a place where I don't have to dance at all to have uh, a phenomenal event. You mentioned earlier that um, Puff was an inspiration for you. Mm -hmm. um, at some point, I know you were dancing, but I heard, and I don't know if this is true, but I heard that you also worked at Blue Flame, which was a Puff company, or Bad Boy. Yeah, actually it was. I, I actually worked at Bad Boy, so... I, I must I left this part out. So during my during junior high high school, I also uh, outside of school, I, I, I was part of a band, um, a, a R and B fusion band, and not for nothing. We were we were we were phenomenal, fucking phenomenal. Like <laughs> no seriously, talk shit, I'm gonna talk the shit because yeah. this no like so we had we we were a fusion band compiled of sax player. Uh, I was the lead singer. I wasn't the lead singer that started with the band, but I auditioned and they brought me in. Um, keyboard, she ended up going to Juilliard. Um, bass player and percussionist. Um, 
And drummers. I don't know if I said drummer. But my drummer, our drummer now is, his name, shout out to Ray Romulus. Ray Romulus, he's one of the uh, members of the uh, production team, Stereotypes, who produced Bruno Mars' entire last album. Um, hits like 24 Carat. That's all my boy Ray. We were doing this like in 7th and 8th grade. I know how talented our our band was back then. Um but once we all <laughs> once we all uh were about to graduate high school, his parents, my parents were like, "Okay, party done. Band over." <laughs> like college. <laughs> yeah. Forget the band. Right. You know what I'm saying? And education first. Exactly. Yeah. Um so, you know, we all kind of went our separate ways, but the funny thing is Ray he still was moved, maneuvering in New York City, just like I was, and he started interning at Bad Boy, um, and you know while uh, he was in college, and while I was in college, and he was like, I was like, yo, son, can, how can I? Yeah, what do I need to do? Yeah, and he yeah. was like, yo, they're not hiring nobody, <laughs> no more interns. It's just that it's once in a blue right. is when they um, like hire interns. He's like, yo, but I got you when they do. Cool. He ended up keeping his word. He did let me know. He's like, listen, come through. They're looking for interns. So it was because of my boy Ray. He brought me in uh, as an intern, and I started working in uh, uh, under Puff's uh, publishing department. Francesca Spiro was the head of Puff's uh, publishing, and uh, God rest her soul. Fran was like somebody who was super influential. If you say Fran Spiro, Spiro's name in, in hip-hop, people know exactly who you're talking about. She ran anything and everything when it came to Puff's Hitmen, all the producers. Checks couldn't get cut if it didn't go through France, so she was very important. And me being her intern, I kind of got important, too. Because <laughs> right. I'd you know, i be delivering the checks to people like Stevie J from, like, Love and Hip Hop, you know, uh, D-Dot, uh, Mario Winans, you know what I'm saying? So... I was around this, but... Was this while you were at DJs Unlimited, too, at the same time? Or? Yeah. So you had multiple hustles. Hustling. While you were also in college. While I was in college. I, I, I wanted to point that out because, you know, now if someone goes to... What's your Instagram? Marco Glorious. So if someone goes to your Instagram and they see you, like, in a picture with a celebrity or something, they don't know how much shit you had to do to get to that point where yeah. you're at today. Right? Mm-hmm, 100%. But I remember you working, dancing a party, telling me that you also worked at Bad Boy, and you were living in Harlem at the time. Mm-hmm. You would dance a party in <laughs> Connecticut. Yeah, man. But in order to get to Connecticut, you'd go from Harlem to <sighs> take the train to Floral Park or to 179th and Hillside. Wait, take the one. Tell me that yeah, road. Oh route. my God, no car. Take the one train down to like 57th Street. I would walk from 57th to the F train just because I felt like it was faster. So I'd walk from the west side of Manhattan to 57th and 6th to catch the F train that would take me to Queens to the last stop on the F train. 179th. 179th and Hillside. Right. I would get off there, still not where I needed to be. Get off there, catch the Q36 bus. To the second to last stop on the Q36 bus, which leads you like right on the border of like Queens Little and Mac Floral and Park. Yeah. yeah. So for those people on the internet worldwide, you listen to us. This commute is how many hours public transportation? I mean, if, every, if everything works well, yeah, 
Which is rare. Which is rare. Right. <laughs> Maybe about an hour and 45. So two hours to get to work. Yeah. But that's just to get to the warehouse. Just to get to the warehouse. And then you'd, what would you do from getting and to the warehouse? And then we'd load the van. Okay, with equipment. Load the equipment in the van, which is, which is why I don't do this now. Right. But load the van and then journey to wherever the event was. How many hours? It could be, depending. It could be Connecticut. It could be in Long Island. It could be in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. You know, so, you know, say another two hours, mm -hmm. an hour and a half, depending. Mm -hmm. Unload the equipment. Mm -hmm. And then me being a dancer, dance four to five hours on this event. Mm -hmm. And then after the event, me being the dancer, and I would load the equipment back in the van, take the trip back to the warehouse. And then luckily, if I was there... Before the bus stopped running, I could catch the last bus, which maybe I think maybe two o'clock in the morning. Some, a lot of the times I would miss it. Sometimes you know I had good friends that I used to work with who would give me a ride to the F train, the 179th and Hillside Station. I was very prideful. I still am a proud individual. If no one ever offered me a ride, I'd walk. That would take me an hour just to get to 179th and Hillside. Over an hour just for me to walk from yeah, Queens from Long Island like to Queens. You're talking like 50, 60 blocks. Yeah. With the with like a 60, 70 pound suitcase, I remember. Because I used to have a yeah, I carried a strong Garmin bag. People used to think it was like Undertaker's bag. People <laughs> thought I had bodies in that bag. So, just <laughs> just so the general public knows, you, what time would your day start? T to dance this four or five hours. What time would your day start from the point you left your house? What time I mean, would you leave your house? But I see. I also had like if I had a double that day, you know, I. Let's talk about a single job because I'm just trying to analyze the hours that you'd put in. For one job, I mean, well, I would, you know, like I, I, I try to get fresh. So, if my event started at like six or seven, mm -hmm. that means I had to be at the warehouse by like four, which means I had to leave New York City. I had to leave my house by like two o'clock, and that's just to be, you know, if to make sure that it, to say nothing went wrong. So I'd probably leave my house like one o'clock, twelve thirty-one. And what time would you get home? Probably like two, three o'clock in the morning. So say one to three. So you're talking about fourteen hours. Yeah. What was your pay scale in, <laughs> at, that, at that time? Like, what would you get paid? I mean, not for nothing though. I do. I I, I was one of the higher paid. <laughs> okay, but rookies. <laughs> what was it? I made about when I, I started at about. What did I start at? I think I started at 150 bucks a party. All right, so you're making like ten dollars an hour with all that transport and dancing and sweating your ass off. Yeah. So um. Yeah, man, I uh, I definitely, you know, I've, I've paid my dues, but just like Juicy was saying earlier, I was listening to you guys when uh, your intro, I still feel like I'm, I'm, I'm still grinding. I'm still on my come up. I'm still, there's still things that I'm, you know, I'm no, I'm further than I went, than where I was. Right. But my journey's still going. But humble beginnings for sure. 100%, yeah. Still remain humble. All the time, yeah. Uh, at some point, you start working for the New Jersey Nets before they move to Brooklyn. Yep. While you're emceeing as well. Yeah. Can so you talk about, one, how you got that? Uh, how, who you were working for at the time? Some of the people that you were mingling with and working directly with at the time and how that impacted your career as well. Now that I'm starting to host events, I'm like, hey, you know what? I can audition for hosting gigs. I could do this. You know, this is something that I could do. And I remember, I mean, I was always a, a sports fan. I was a, a Knicks fan. I was a Nets fan. I went to a Nets game, and I saw 
what they did at at the Nets games and they had a DJ and they had dancers and they had this ringleader who 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 was a host and I remember I was in like the the nosebleeds and I looked down I said to my boy I said yo I would kill that job fam like <laughs> that was exactly my words I said I would kill that job whatever not didn't think anything about it um I used to get the paper backstage, newspaper for actors. If you want to audition, it comes out. It's come out Thursdays. One Thursday, I'm going through the auditions, and I see New Jersey Nets casting host wanted, that sort of thing. I said, stop playing. I, this is it. <laughs> like That's exactly what I remember. So I think the day of, I either, I, I forget where I was working. I might have been working retail. I used to work for Lucky Brand Jeans. Something happened. They had two days of hosting. I might have had an event as well. I don't remember, but I wasn't able to go to the first day. The second day, I knew I had to get there. I just didn't know when I was going to get there. I ended up getting there late. Oh, <laughs> that's nothing new, Marco. What? I've seen this movie before. Wait, what? I mean, you're never late. I mean, you know what? I'm, I'm never, I'm, I'm never, listen. I'm not always on time. <laughs> I'm not always on time. But I'm always there when you need me. Huh? <laughs> okay. Always. Never fails. Huh? I like that. Huh? Like okay. That. Strong. So I end up getting to this audition, and it's closed. It's done. <laughs> I'm like, they're not seeing any more people. And I'm like, I'm, I'm heartbroken. I'm like, wait, what? And the girl who's taking the name, she's like, listen, I'm sorry, you're too late. We're not seeing anymore. The audition actually closed a while ago. Like, yeah. And I'm like, listen, what do I have to do? You have to let, you have to see me. Was anybody else like trying to get into it or were you the only There were other people that were trying to get in. They left. I, was, I said, listen, I'm good. I'm really good. Can you ask them? She like... She kind of like, I joked, I was being funny, I was trying to be smooth. I'm like, listen, I'm really good, you got it, please, come on, you know. And she was like, let me go see. She goes and talks to uh, the executives, and they're like, she comes back and she says, okay, they'll see you. What's this person's name that, that did that for you? Her name is Jojo Balsano. Are you guys still friends? That is my girl. She ended up being my assistant. At the Nets. You need, I, you need to cut her a check, fam. JoJo's. I did her wedding. <laughs> okay. I good. We good. We good. We good. We good. Okay. <laughs> JoJo's my girl. Okay, good. Because she just, she just saved you. She jo just helped you tremendously. And she was like my closest, my closest confidant, my, 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 my entire tenure with the Nets. JoJo's okay. my girl. So you go and interview, and what happens? So I was the last person. They knew what I did, that I begged or whatever. And they were like, okay, this is what we want you to read. Please do it like this. You know, pretend you're in the stadium, and I did my thing, and I saw them smiling. They asked me to do, give me another thing to read, and you know, they're like, "Okay, do this and do this." And what year is this? Sheesh. Uh, maybe 2006. Okay. I'm thinking. I'm not, I'm not positive, but yeah. So yeah, um, and that was that. And a few days later, I get a call, and they they said that you know they they'd like to you know see me again, this time uh, hosting an event for the Nets prior to the season, mm -hmm. where there was going to be you know uh, executives and players and fans. Now, does Jay own the team yet, or was he part yeah, involved no. at that point? Yeah, he was. Okay. He was. Yeah. So did Jay Z sign your paycheck? 
I'm not no, not Sean Carter per se. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh yeah, so I ended up getting the job with the Nets. Amazing. And I remember that vividly. Yeah. And what I ended up it, it was me and another girl at the time. And then it went from me and her to just me. And I was there for a few seasons and So um, what were your responsibilities at the Nets? Like what we, now again, just for those listeners, like while you get this job at the Nets, you never stop hosting <laughs> private events either. Never stop hosting, no. So you're hosting like a hundred plus private events a year already at that point. Yeah. And yeah. you have a retail job. Your and your dancing career is over and you're just hosting at this point. Correct. Right? Because you start hosting in like oh three. Now it's 06. Yeah. yeah. I might have stopped working at Lucky Brand Jeans. <laughs> but throughout, I've, I, like, listen, I've, I've done so many odd jobs. I mean, things that I'm proud of, things that I'm not so proud of. But, like, nah, I'm actually I'm proud of anything that I've done. But it's just, you know, um, yeah, I was working. I was working at companies like, you know, I was doing home inspections for a while. <laughs> oh, actually, before the Nets, I think that's what I was doing. So, yeah, no, I started working with the Nets. Um and what was the responsibilities there? Like, oh, what were, how many people were you entertaining? Wow. Who was in the audience? So it's 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 a stadium. I, I don't know the count of. Uh, so initially, I started. It was the Izod Center, um, but this is it's a thousands of people a night, thousands of people a game. Seeing you, seeing me. Um, I was the ringleader, so I introduced, you know, our our dancers, I uh, our our tumblers. We had our our team hype. I introduced. Uh, sponsors whenever we did like sponsored timeouts um things to get the the fans wilding out get them super engaged um that's what i was in charge of and as i continued to get better and better they gave me more responsibility so to as i moved on the nets actually asked me to become their secondary pa announcer where instead of doing play-by-play -play stuff Gary, um, who's the play-by-play -play announcer, I started to uh, do the player introductions, and that was something that... That's big. That was very big for me, um, just because, you know, I felt that they, they saw what I had to offer, and it was huge, me going from, you know, interactive announcer to, one, to being one of the PA announcers and having to do that night after night. And, of course, you know, I tried to... I was the individual. I'm, I'm somewhat of an overachiever. I, I, I mem memorized the names. <laughs> but it was like, so it, it would be me coming out with the dancers, with the tumblers. We've had fireworks. It was uh, with uh, our mascot, Sly. Epic. And then I would come out, and now, ladies and gentlemen, center court. You know what I mean? Microphone coming down to the 10, sky. 10,000, 15,000 people. In That's time. how it was. And I would do it from memory. But what was crazy is that with, with, with basketball, NBA stuff, you know, sometimes there's game time decisions. This person may not play. This person may play. And, whoo, it was tough because yeah. from memory, it's like, okay, I know the whole roster. And I'm, okay, this is who's playing tonight. Oops, this person's not playing. You know, something happened. All right. So, uh, but it was good, man. It was good. I got, I ended up getting some uh, notoriety because of that and because of the way that I did things. Uh, I try to be as energetic as possible, just really in your face. Uh, we had great fans in Jersey, and we were also gearing up to move to Brooklyn. I was actually hired for Brooklyn. That was the main thing because they were like, okay, we like your, your look, your swag, 
your approach. We want all of this for Brooklyn. So the Brooklyn move just took longer than what they thought. Um, but while I was there, people took note of me. Um, were you were you pivoting that situation at all in all your other work? I mean, I I I I try to. I I let my work speak for itself. Uh, but it definitely assisted with you know people knew that okay, this individual has the capability to command thousands of people. Sure. But he also can host your event, an intimate event, and make it make it as personable as possible for each one of your guests. Um, so I think people saw the range that I had. Uh, Seemed like a pretty positive experience for you. Was there any like hurdles that you encountered? Yeah, I mean, uh, the the host, but prior to me, you know, people didn't know who I was, and you know, I I remember my first few games, there was some middle-aged dudes that were just there and they booed the hell out of me yeah. <laughs> every time I came out. That's got to be deflating a little bit. Yeah, and I'm a kid and these dudes, I'm like, yo, these these dudes, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> just going to boo me for nothing? <laughs> but then I'm like, okay, how can I how can I flip this, you know? And like, I just I, I walked up to them and was like, hey, listen, I'm Marco. Who are you and why are you booing me, fam? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And like, well, I don't know. Like, we've, we've always shown, I don't want to say his name, but... Yeah. Um, we roll with so-and-so host, and uh, I'm like, okay, well, cool, you know, because he was great. Hopefully, I could live up to his shoes, but but fuck with me, rock with me, see how I do. <laughs> and, okay, you know, and so, like, that was, I, I, I'm, I, I approach people. And, I mean, the NBA is the NBA. It's a great organization, but you have to, you have to be on your toes. You got to be on your P's and Q's. You got to make sure, like, there's split-second things that go through your head. Okay, this sponsor, you make sure I could literally mess up a whole promo but i have to say two words if you don't say these two words we're losing money so just let's make sure you say these two words certain things like that was, um, was working in that space uh simultaneously while working in private events was one job harder than the other or did they both have different sort of tasks that were uniquely i guess difficult in both spaces i approach hosting um for me, I approach, it's different, but the same. So it's just a variation of my approach. So with the with an NBA game, my approach is different. It's still me hosting. With a, a corporate event, it's still me hosting, but I'm approaching it differently. Um, so I always tell people, for me, I have a lot of itineraries in my back pocket for when I approach an event. If it's this type of event, okay, let me go back to my mental Rolodex because I know I've done this type of event. If it's this type of, if it's, if, you know, whether basketball game, football game, soccer game, fashion show, club party, wedding, bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah, quinceanera. Like, I have all of these in my head. Let me go back to it. Okay, this is the best way for Marco Glorious to approach this particular event. You're doing the next thing hosting you're crushing it in 2011 i remember the nba went on strike mm. for a little bit mm -hmm. and that was the year that you were supposed to come back and do the following season and the season started late if i'm not mistaken Correct. you got a good memory my friend. of course i do bro i've handled <laughs> your career from your entire <laughs> career 
So for those that don't know, yeah, other, other people that don't know who are listening, not only do we know Marco and have worked with him, but I've actually been uh, in one of the spaces. My agency has been the agency to um, semi-exclusively handle all of Marco's bookings in the private event space and the corporate event space. Uh, so... So yeah. I kind of know the calendar and the trajectory a little bit. Yo, man. But in 2011, I remember we were, you were, they were, the Nets were priming you to go to Brooklyn. Yeah. NBA went on strike. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had an opportunity to go perform in Thailand. Mm. And if we did Thailand, it could have probably costed the Nets thing because we didn't know if the Nets were going to come back in time. Correct. If you remember. Yes. Yeah, wow. And it was a decision we made at that point together. And I said, look, if we take this gig in Thailand, you might miss opening day because the NBA season was starting later. And we decided to risk it and take that gig. Yeah. And when you came back, there was no job. Correct. Because w- w- they started late, right? They, they started late. And then I don't I don't remember the, the entire story, but... You know what ended up happening now that you, rem- that you, you jogged my memory? Uh, they ended up sharing... I, I was working with, the, with the, another correspondent and basically... To cover themselves, they hired her to, you know, host and just take any, you know, any stress off of me, even if, you know, if I didn't, if I wasn't able to make a game or something like that. So that's what it was. But what ended up happening was like, oh, wait, being that I wasn't able to be there, <laughs> she's got the majority of, of, of the events or the, or, or the games. And I was like, okay. Um, I thought, you know, like it, it didn't make it didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. It didn't make sense. So it was like, all right, what am I gonna do? I just have to roll with the punches. And uh, it looked like, I mean, it was the facts were she had all the bigger, she had the bigger games, and it didn't call for that. It just it was it was weird. In your eyes. In my eyes. But now you're working for a big organization, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. An organization that's way bigger than you. Yeah. Right? And I want to let the listeners know that, like, your career hasn't always been filled with just ups and ups. There's been downs in that. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And I was right there just watching when they were priming you to go to Brooklyn because the Nets were going to move from Jersey to Brooklyn and you were going to be the in-arena host of Brooklyn. And we were like, great. We're going to make all this much more money because now we're going to be in Brooklyn. <laughs> I got a Brooklyn shirt on right now, Brooklyn Nets. You should burn that bitch. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We love you. We got some Brooklyn Nets fans in the building. Nah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but did it help you get another situation? Like, what happens after yeah, one that? One door closes, then what I happens? I mean, well, after that, you know, it's like, okay, because the Nets kept me in New York. I was, you know, I was considering moving to L.A., you know, you know, and, like, really going after my, you know, just auditioning and acting and you know me getting the nets made me stay in new york so like after that i was like you know what let me maybe i should maybe i should go to la now and this is something that you know would be a blessing in disguise and i'll do it like that um so i start auditioning again i get back into my acting i start doing some uh i kind of wanted to get my acting chops back up again and said let me I need to go back and start doing stage because I've done I've done a, a, a good amount of stage that a lot of people don't know. So I was like, I, I want to get back into stage and theater and musical theater. So I started doing some off-Broadway work. 
and uh, I <laughs> did a couple plays, and one play that I ended up doing was a play by the name of Love, Lies, and Lust, and it was something that uh, had a lot of notable, like, up-and-coming actors, as well as a few established uh, actors as well. The lead in the play was Nashawn Kearse. Uh, he's, he's been on, like, Desperate Housewives. He's done a lot of work, but... Um, a lot of the whole the ensemble were, were a lot of notable uh, influencers and actors. And did that lead to anything? Well, yeah, I'm, that's what I'm getting to. Uh, <laughs> the director of the play ended up getting I ended up getting pretty close to. And we had a person in the play who played a DJ in the play. He never really was there. He was just playing a DJ. Um, He's a good friend of mine now, DJ Booth. And who's DJ Booth? DJ Booth is uh, one of the top DJs in New York City. He's uh, Nicki Minaj's personal DJ. He's also the, the rapper Fabulous's DJ, and he's also the DJ at the Wendy Williams show. Ah, uh -huh. light bulb. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you met Booth at this small play. The funny thing is, Booth and I never interacted at any of the rehearsals, but he was also good friends with the director of the play. And so much so that they used to converse, talk about, you know, stuff that was going on in each other's lives, yada, yada, yada. He ended up letting her know that, you know, things were changing up at Wendy. They're looking to do certain different things to make the audience, uh, to, 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 to get the audience uh, more captivated and engaged. And they, they're just brainstorming a lot of different ideas. They had individuals who were like comedians, who were also like hosts, who would uh, more or less interact with the audience uh, before and after the show, but it was never to the level that they wanted it to be. So uh, Nadia, who was the director, she said, you know something, Booth? You should probably talk to Marco because Marco does a lot when it comes to, like, hosting and, like, being funny and this sort of thing. You should probably talk to him because maybe he could help you or give you some insight to something that you might need or might be looking for. Um, so that's how Booth and I connected. And he was like, listen, uh, you might be the individual that they may be looking for. I don't know what they're looking for specifically because they might I think they were trying to get rid of the warm up person type of position but I think you should meet with them and you're going to be my guy so Booth didn't really know me from a can of paint but I feel like Booth is that guy he's like yo I got somebody <laughs> so it's because of Booth that I had my first meeting with the execs at, at Wendy and Debmar Mercury who's the company that that uh, owns the Wendy show and uh, basically I had, you know, I kind of came in there and I had my resume behind me like, hey, this is what I've done with the NBA. This is what I currently do now. I host a variety of events all over the world. This is what I brought to the Nets organization. I did this. I created this. I've done this. Um, I was uh, a fan of the Wendy show. My mother watched the show regularly, so I knew what it was about. And I said to them, I would like to create something that no other talk show has or no other talk show is doing. And I think that I can do that with DJ Booth. And that's what I said. So I that's beyond just hosting. That's production. Correct. So I basically forged my, my position at Wendy because 
with what I said and what I told them I had to offer, they in turn offered me um, a producer title. So, in addition, so I kind of wear, I, I have dual roles at the show. I wear two hats. Um, Both fedoras? Always. <laughs> okay. Well, actually, no, one's a fedora, one's a fitted. I like that. <laughs> But uh, so, yeah, I'm the audience producer at the Wendy show. And I kind of I was able to 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 create my position there because I had never worked in television before ever. And I mean, but I did work for the NBA and I was on television, but I had never worked for a talk show or that sort of thing. And they tried me out. They said, OK. And I created probably one of the best formats for any talk show that there's ever been one, one thing i could i could see in one pattern is that there's a lot of longevity in the places that you work you're not really a guy that works somewhere fast and then i've been blessed out. for that yeah i've been blessed to you've have been that. blessed do you think I, I do believe that i also believe that like wherever you touch like you are added value to that so well, i mean that that's i you know thank you for that but yeah but that's what long-term relationships are right like it's always a two-way street it can't ever be like oh Marco's the guy, but then you don't give. It's you don't just give, give, give. You also get, and it's it's a give and get relationship You're in right. everything you do, right? Like so, you make Wendy better, they keep you there, yeah, and you continue to grow with the show. So when the show gets nominated for an Emmy, come talk on, about it. Come on, son, <laughs> Emmy nominated over here. Not one, but almost. You'll get there. Been nominated twice, right? Haven't won. You'll get there. But you have to. Whenever, by the way, if you ever introduce me again, gotta make sure Emmy nominated. Emmy nominated, <laughs> huh? huh? I forgot that one. Huh? That's the that's the price point. That, that's the last price right, that's point. That's why we that saved <laughs> towards the end. <laughs> um, and in in this time of illustrious career, you've what we didn't really touch on, and it's kind of difficult. But you've also traveled to handle events for uh, the agencies within our building, which is DJ USA and all our sister companies. Yeah. Uh, tell me about some of the places that you've traveled to host events. Like just rattle off some of the places that you've been that are stamped on your passport for those people. Like who think like you just pick up a mic and I remember someone said like, what is it? You're like a dancing buffoon or some shit. What did somebody say? Don't, I don't worry about who said it, but like for people who are like kind of ignorant to what, what a host does and how much you get to travel. Like tell, tell us about some of the places you've been. I mean, I've You've been gotten all, to see. I've been all like name me five cities, or countries, or okay, whatever. I've been all throughout the Caribbean, Canada. We've been to uh, Thailand. We've been to Chile. We've been to Mauritius, which is where's Mauritius? I don't even yeah. like. Some people don't even know. <laughs> uh, it's off the coast of uh, Africa, like right above Madagascar, I believe. And uh, and all that is through hosting, like just hosting events, right? Hosting. Hosting well, hosting as, as as well as you possibly can. The guy said clown with the mic. Something That's what like he that. said. Yeah. I, I found that very offensive. It, yeah, it's very offensive, <laughs> but you know what? Jeez. I'll tell you this. When It's funny because I, I get people who come up to me, de you know, depending on what the event is or where I'm at, and they're like, oh, my God, you're so great. How can I do your How, how I want to take your job. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, tell them to take the F train and the bus, <laughs> make a hundred dollars. I want to do what you do. And I'm like, that's phenomenal. But like, now I look at that when somebody comes up to me and says something like that, I, I appreciate it more than I did because I make this look effortless. 
Absolutely. And that's what that's I that's what I'm realizing to to you. You think that you can do this very easily, and maybe you can. That's great. I, you should, if you want to. Hopefully, you can. But there's a whole lot, especially specifically hosting. In my opinion, I'm very cerebral when it comes to the way that I host. You know, I can look at a person in a crowd and start speaking a certain way. And I'm pretty sure I can get the reaction that I want from that individual, which will and then uh, force the people around them to give me a similar reaction. These are things that I'm thinking about prior to, let's science. say... When I'm opening a room, right. opening a, a room for a wedding reception. This is not something you can learn overnight. No, no. <laughs> but Jeez, years. Um, Experience. It's like playing records. It's science. Yeah, it's very cerebral. One thing I want to ask you before we just close out, um, something that is more recent and current is that you became a father recently. Mm-hmm. And somewhat recently. Somewhat recently, <laughs> right? You have a five-year-old daughter. Four. Well, almost five. Yeah. Right. Four. Yeah. Four and change, right? She's in her fifth year? Yeah, she'll be five in December. Right. So, Indians, you know what we say, (laughs) right? She completed four. She completed, she's in her fifth year. Whatever. It's a whole other topic. (laughs) You're only half Indian, so you might not (laughs) But has having a daughter changed your mindset, um, your mentality, and the way you operate, and the way you handle your business day to day at all? Has it changed your mindset at all in the way you work? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I felt you know I've I've I felt that I've 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 gotten a certain place because of how I've worked in the past, but now it's not just me. So like, I'm definitely mindful that I'm a father. There's things I say I say this to myself like, listen, Marco, you're you're a fucking father now. <laughs> when I have con- I con- I converse with myself all the time. As I said, I'm a Gemini. <laughs> so you know I tell myself, listen, you're a father can't you can't you have to like i know when i go home no matter how much energy i've given at the event or let's say at wendy i have to have energy for my daughter <laughs> like you know I, and I, you're starting over i want to give her energy right so, you know what i'm job. saying she yeah. wants me to play with her she wants me you know i have to take her here like i mean sometimes i'll be you know i'll be tired but for the most part i have to keep this in mind like i have to have energy for the people that I care about in my life. And now that I'm getting older, you know, not married yet, but looking, you know, hey. in the direction I'm glancing <laughs> in that region yonder, <laughs> I'm keeping this in mind. I'm realizing, you know, I have to have energy for the people that I care about, my significant other, my daughter. I have to give them equal, if not more, energy. Sure. So that's what I'm budgeting. <laughs> Right, time, um, yeah, energy. budgeting my time, my energy, um, trying to be as efficient as possible. Efficiency, excuse me, efficiency. Efficiency is definitely one of the keys to success, especially when you're working multiple hustles and constantly on the go and constantly on the ground. I, I, tech, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, uh, I preach that all the time. I preach that in our office and everywhere we go. That uh, use your time wisely. It's, it's, an, it's an asset that you can never get back. So yeah. once it's gone, it's gone. Hundred uh, percent, Marco G. You've dropped some gems today. Uh, you've told us a little bit about your career. A lot. We went through a lot of timeline. Uh, is there any anything you want to share with the listeners that we haven't touched on, or something that you want to leave uh, the butter chicken uh, listeners with 
Absolutely. I just want to say, as I as I said before, I'm proud of both of you guys. DJ Shira, DJ Juicy are two individuals that I've looked up to in my career, have helped me and guided me throughout my career. And now we 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 still move collectively as a unit, but we have our own individual projects that we're working on. And whatever I can do to uplift, help, assist, I'm, I'm honored. I thank you guys for having me here today. Um, and you know what? Grind hard, Haas. Haas. That's something that I say, you know what I mean? Um, ain't nothing to it but to do it. Love it, man. My man, Marco G. Where can these people catch you, bro? Listen, you know what? Catch me on that Wendy Williams show. Oh, yeah? Okay. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> Live Monday through Friday. Um, the audience producer of the Wendy Williams show. You can also see me upcoming project uh, podcast as well. Late night in Harlem with my co-host, my good brother, Lawrence Anthony. Um, and keep your ears to the streets. Marco Glorious on all social media at Marco Glorious, uh, MarcoGlorious.com. And uh, if you see me in the street, you know what? Give me a pound. Ladies, give me a hug. You know what I mean? <laughs> Marco, we appreciate you, bro. Thank you for coming to share these these words of wisdom and your experiences with us. I think uh, you know, our listeners really wanted to, to get to know you better, and, and this was a perfect opportunity for that. So thank you so much for joining us no, today. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. This is the Butter Chicken Podcast with your boy, DJ Sherrod. And DJ Juicy, baby. Juicy, where can they catch us, my man? Catch us on Instagram at Butter Chicken Podcast. Mm. That is the hub. It'll take you everywhere else. And uh, I heard we're on iTunes. We're on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud. We're on every <laughs> single podcast on platform. I'm getting hungry. <laughs> Butter chicken. All this chicken. That's it. So make sure to catch us. Again, signing off. Thank you to all our listeners once again for tuning in. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, like. Do what you got to do, but make sure you hit Butter Chicken Podcast everywhere. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Peace.